You young people are probably unaware of the fact that this is a sort of uh, private cruise. Yes. Quite there. There must be a slip-up somewhere. Oh, no. There hasn't been any slip-up. Uh, this is our ship, and we're sailing to Europe on it. Her. Oh, her. There you are, you see? Oh, dear. This is very bad news indeed. Oh, really? This may sound odd to you, but really, we want to help you. Exactly. You see, there are certain things you don't know about the ship. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I am Terry. And I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about Thursday we leave for home. Um, we are now leaving that episode far behind and Cap- Captain Bentinas is staring into the sky, wondering why we're not coming back to him. It's because he lives on a Satan's butthole, as I said last time. So good luck with that. So uh, yeah, moving on to this episode. It is uh, season four, episode 17, Passage on the Lady Anne. Uh, air date is uh, May 9th, 1963. Number one song, I will follow him, Little Peggy March. I'm going to call her Lil Peggy March from now on. That not, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. Number one film, Dr. No. This was the first actual James Bond film. And you'd think I would know that just from like watching movies and things. I am not really well versed with uh, the James Bond filmography. Uh, so I had to look up and double check that that was actually the first James Bond film. So shame on me. That's okay, Paul. I'll, I'll give you a pass because I am, I'm even in the worst hole because I've never seen one. <laughs> I started watching, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, I don't even know. There was one of them I started <laughs> to watch. Uh, I don't even know. It was, it was with Sean Connery and I made it like halfway through and I fell asleep. But I mean, that—that's not a—that's not a, a statement against the movie itself. I was just—I was just so tired. But it's something I've been waiting to get into. But I wanted to do it from the best stance. Like, is there a, a like a linear like trace between the first episode all the way up to the Daniel Craig stuff? Is it just all over the place? I've never known. Yeah, I think it's just kind of like since most of the movies are standalone, with the exception of the Craig stuff. Uh, you can kind of just pick and choose. Um, so, you know, Connery is, the, he, I think he's still done the most. And then you got Roger Moore doing the second most uh, with uh, George Lazen being there and for one. And then um, Timothy Dalton in there for a couple. And then Pierce Brosnan who did uh, uh, GoldenEye, which that one was great. I, I did see that one. Um, and then I ended up watching... Um, I ended up watching the Craig films. I ended up seeing, finally sat down and watching Casino Royale, which is awesome. Quantum of Solace is okay. 
Um, and then um, Skyfall is really flipping good. I've not seen Spectre yet. So I'm like the Craig stuff is a little bit more grounded. Isn't the right word. Cause it's James Bond. He's a super spy and has all this other stuff going on. But you, you, <laughs> Daniel Craig is this kind of guy that looks like, you know, when he gets beat up and is like, he just, he looks like he's taken a lot of shit in his life, you know? And I, I kind of dig this version of bond. I've never really seen a Sean Connery one, but, um, I think from a, like appreciation of the kind of spy, spy venture genre stuff that this really kind of triggered, I think, you know, I owe it to myself to go back and check some of this stuff out. Yeah, and they're so easily accessible now. I think they're on just about every streaming service, like not, even the free ones, like Tubi and that. I think they're on just about every one of them. It's yeah. just, it's kind of a shame that I haven't gotten to watch any of them. And my friend Joe will hate my guts because he has been telling me for about eight years now that I've known him to watch them. And <laughs> he's going to be ashamed when he hears this that I still haven't watched any of them. Well, not all of them are great at like Moonraker supposed to be kind of, kind of junk and some of the other ones, but I don't know, man, the, the, the Craig ones are pretty good. Like I would just, uh, my only thing I'd say is if you're going to watch Casino Royale, watch quantum assaults immediately after, because it feels like a, like a two hour coda to Casino Royale. Like it doesn't feel like its own, its own film. It just feels more like, like the emotional fallout for Bond's character. So I think that makes it like a little more palatable versus like, I'm going to watch quantum assaults by itself and be like, this movie's kind of boring and doesn't have much going on. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, so here's my confession too. And this was not where I was going to go with this episode. I've not been a bond guy. Cause I always don't, it's like, ah, it's like, it's just the same guy. He's always going to win. He always comes out on top. I was like, there's no, there's no, um, tension there, but like, you, if you give me like eight Spider-Man films in a row, I'm always there, even though it's like, they're not going to kill Spider-Man. Like what, what's wrong with me where it's like, if it's a comic book hero, I can usually accept that. Like, well, Batman's not going to die. And I could, I'm like, I know that's not the point of the movie, but, um, both bond. It's always like, how is the super spy? How does he always get out? And it's like, he is a human. How does he do it? And I always have, I, I feel like that stretches my, um, that's that destroys my suspension of disbelief more than just like this guy has spider powers. Of course he's going to have an advantage. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, as you were saying, like he's a super spy and all that, I was just thinking about Superman the entire time. I was like, he has literally all the powers. (laughs) It's like when you read a Superman comic, do you really feel like there's ever going to be a a real, uh, like enemy for him? That's going to give him a challenge other than Lex Luthor. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just like we're they're going to give him like a math problem. He's like, my powers can't handle math, you know. But yeah, so anyway, Doctor No came out to the, the the day this episode aired. It was actually it already been over in um in Europe for like six months, so it's just like it, the U.S. finally caught on. But it, it did the gangbusters, and clearly the Bond franchise went on to do quite a quite a lot. Uh, day after this episode aired, uh, author Maurice Sendak Sendak, I'm not saying his name right. Working on his first book for children made the decision to abandon his original title, Where the Wild Horses Are. After concluding that horses were too difficult to draw, I would agree with that, and changed the characters in the book to friendly monsters. The book, Where the Wild Things Are, would become a Calicut medal winning bestseller and launch Sendak's career. Yeah, it seemed to have done pretty well. I, 
I remember that book when I was a kid. Uh, they even made that movie, uh, what, eight years ago or whatever it was? Yeah, which I have not seen. <laughs> Here's the podcast of things that we've not seen except for The Twilight Zone. Um, but yeah, I know um, I know it looked like just the presentation of the monsters looked amazing in that the, from what I've seen of it. But yeah, Where the Wild Things Are, that was a, a pretty big book. And the fact he's like, horses are hard to draw. I'm going to draw monsters instead. It's like Dr. Seuss would agree with that. And they're, they're really weird monsters too. So I don't know if you could draw a monster as well either. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mine would be like uh, where the wild, where the where the wiggly things are. Like uh, uh, I had a, I had a, a teacher once tell me that I think I was in elementary school and he was telling me about how like I was in like fourth or fifth grade and part of one of his classes like going to teaching was to dr- like draw a children's book. And so he's like, he's like, I couldn't draw. So I just call, I made my book called attack of the stick people. And he was like, it had a big climax where the stick people got into a spaceship and they're throwing sticks at everybody else and they flew away. And I was like, that's amazing to me. But wouldn't it be that they're like, they're probably throwing, uh, like body like parts. parts at them then? <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> probably. Yeah. I mean, you don't know, like there that's mash casualties right there. Right. Just throwing sticks. I think, but I love these. It's called attack of the stick people or revenge of the stick people. Like I thought that was great, <clears throat> but yeah, that's what I got for, uh, for day and date. Okay, cool. Um, do you think we're ready for cast then? Sure. Let's, let's get this, let's get this ship a sailing as they say. That's I don't know if they say that, but. Okay. So, uh, our cast, uh, leads off with, uh, Lee Phillips. He plays Alan Ransom, which that is such a cool name. I, I don't know why, but I was like the entire time they said it, I'm like, it just sounds like a like a Bond villain or something like that, or like a bad guy of some sort. Yeah, I, ransom, uh, ransom, um, and the fact that like he's almost like it feels like he's almost held hostage <laughs> on the ship to begin with. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, he. This is his first of his two Twilight Zone episode appearances. He looked familiar to me, and I'm like, why do I recognize this guy? He was actually in the very first episode of The Outer Limits, called The Galaxy Being. Uh, that we covered on the show about this time last year. Uh, kind of a boring episode, but he was in it, and I'm like, he looked familiar. He played a DJ in that. So I just want to mention here that right around this time, he would start directing more than, like, he, he'd still do acting, but he kind of started directing, and, and that's where he, his passions were. And he would uh, uh, direct four episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show, and then one episode of Diagnosis Murder. So he, you know he was still friends with Dick Van Dyke through all of that. So he had a, a a very long TV directing career uh, like and but acting was probably his way into that yeah it, it seemed to almost rival his uh his IMDB for how yeah. much stuff that he had yeah um, and, and the guy had a look and I it, again I, I'll, I'll put this at the feet of the script that I know you're not supposed to necessarily like his character to begin with but they gave him some just really abrasive dialogue. And I feel like he has a bit of a charm to him that you don't really see like much at all until the end. Right. Yeah, he did. He, for the other parts though, he did uh, seem the standoffish uh, husband very well. Um, yeah. And, you know, as you noted, he was uh, in another episode, which we will talk about in season five. And otherwise he was, he didn't uh, some Alfred Hitchcock presents an hour and um, and then one step beyond. Then uh, moving on, um, we have Joyce Van Patten. Uh, she plays Ellen Ransom. Only Twilight Zone appearance. Um, she was 
she was in the Bad News Bears as a character named Cleveland. Just want to make sure that we had the Cleveland connection <laughs> that's a, there. That's a literal Weird. Cleveland connection. I like it. That's funny. Uh, she was in uh, St. Elmo's Fire, Grown Ups, and the the one the one on here. As soon as I read it, I was like, "Oh, geez, how would I have not known?" She was in Monkey Shines as the mother. I've seen that movie. It's been forever, so I don't remember anything about it other than the movie poster with a toy monkey. Because I know it's, it involves a helper monkey, right? That becomes a little bit more uh, uh, a problem as the movie goes along, right? Right, right. Yeah. Not to give up the entire plot, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun movie. And I mean, the fact that it's uh, George Romero, uh, I, I definitely had to make sure that I noted that in our uh, in our list here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, only Twilight Zone appearance. I just want to mention, not that this is important to her career, but she was married to, uh, Martin, uh, Balsam from 5962. Uh, he, we just saw him in the new exhibit. Uh, so she, they divorced the year before this. I just put in my notes. She probably got mad at him with all those murder dolls in his basement. Um, so just want to throw that out there. Uh, their daughter, Talia Balsam is married to John Slattery, which if you don't recognize that name immediately, that's um that's uh Roger Stark, uh Tony Stark's father in the Iron Man movies. He's also uh in Mad Men as um oh Roger Sterling. Uh, so I love John Slattery. So he's actually like the uh the son in law of Joyce Van Patten. That's interesting. I did not know any of that. Yeah. Cool. So I just I just started, I kind of fell out a hole there. I'm like, oh, okay. So there we go. But yeah, uh uh, obviously she's like, uh, I think she's the um, sister of Dick Van Patten. Like I know we, everybody knows him from like A's enough or whatever, but I didn't know too much about her, but I, I liked her a lot in this episode. We'll talk about her performance when we get there. Did any of those notes lead to critters though? That's what I need to know. I mean, probably critters is life. I could probably do a critters connection in five steps. Just give me a, give me a minute. I could probably figure it out. <laughs> well, while you got that going on, yeah, um, we're moving on to Gladys Cooper. Um, she plays Millie McKenzie, and she did two other episodes, Nothing in the Dark, and then she'll come back for season five later. Um, yeah. But- so, um, I, I not to sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. She is, uh, if you dig into her career, she um, acted in seven like with like different productions over seven decades. Uh, she is like, like not old Hollywood. I mean, that's true, but she's, she's from England. She did a lot of stage work and then actually transitioned from like silent films and the talkies and all this stuff. Uh, like, um, if you see like some pictures of her from the twenties, like she looked like she belonged in like that whole roaring twenties, like gilded age, like, you know, it's like just gorgeous. Um, and she had a presence and I have a story about her at the end about her and with uh, Wilford Hyde white, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, she, uh, this episode doesn't like showcase her the best, but she is a delight uh, in the uh, episode, nothing in the dark. She was actually one of the reasons why Robert Redford got cast in that episode because she like did reading with him and she's like, bring him to me. He's marvelous. Like she was like talking like like a tigress, being like, "I want that Robert Redford." Like, <laughs> so she, you know, I, 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 when I realized it was her again, I was happy to see her because she's a she was a just a really amazing person and a lot of fun, and I guess uh, a lot of fun to work with. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I, I thought that 
you know, since you had noted on like two episodes ago that we had an, an actress that was in one of the episodes that was like working in the, the silent age, we had quite a bit in this cast that had been long-term actors oh, in yeah. that. And, yeah. um, and I just thought like after seeing how many of them were coming from like the silent age and that too, I was like, wow. I was like, it almost makes that one little note that you made from that episode look a little <laughs> jaded now because of how much there is in this one. That's true. I didn't. But, I didn't foresee the the amount of older cast members in this. Which I mean, that's that's a good thing too, right? Like you know, there there's some uh, there's people here that had long careers that need to be recognized. I just I I am not in a position to appreciate, but at least I can try to understand. Right. Some of the stuff I do know. So uh, Gladys, another note that uh, big note for her was uh, she had worked uh, in the Bella Lugosi film Black Cat. Okay, I I missed that one completely and I have not seen that, but that's cool that she worked with Lugosi. Yeah. And then um, moving on, uh, we have uh, Wilford Hyde White. Uh, He plays Toby McKenzie. Uh, This is his only appearance in Twilight Zone. Um, he was in some. Uh, he was in an episode of Battlestar Galactica, and I knew him from the R- Richard Pryor film, The Toy. That's the one with uh, Jackie Gleason, right? Yes. Yeah. I've not seen that, but I know that. Like, I I know the premise, and I I need to see more Richard Pryor films because one of my favorite of all time is uh, Moving. I love him in that film. Uh, but yeah, I I wasn't that familiar with with Wilfred Hyde White. At times, he reminded me of Christopher Lee a little bit with the way he kind of had a, like a little bit of like not menace, but like a welcoming presence. And there's other times when you look at him, it's like that's what Weird Al Yankovic's going to look like in 15 years. Like there's just something about like it just once once he loses the curls, it's like that's going to be him, but not British. Um, so I don't know why I got that's a weird connection for both of those. But he was in My Fair Lady. He was in the Orson Welles film The Third Man, which a lot of people hold up as one of the you know the best films ever made. Uh, so Hyde White had a reputation as what they call a bon, bon vieur, which means like a guy that like just parties and lives in like wealth and everything. Uh, and you couldn't tell from the way he carried himself this episode. Uh, in 1979, he was declared bankrupt, right? So he, he, uh, he died from heart failure on May 6, 1991, six days for his 80th birthday in, um, in California, having lived in the United States, uh, for 25 years as a tax exile. So this guy, spent and you could tell i think knowing his his um proclivity for the finer things and always having the nice things around him him as an actor this feels like this is the perfect role for him to be in considering the story we're about to tell that's that's fun it's it's almost like he was like the nicholas cage or wesley snipes (laughs) of his time (laughs) yeah it's just uh you know he had like this distinguished career and spit probably spent more than he ever had. And, but then he, you could, I just have a feeling that while he was on the set and being like, we're on, we're supposed to be on this really nice cruise ship. I'm going to get craft services every three minutes or whatever they had back then. That's fun. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, after him, we have, uh, Cecil Calloway, um, plays Burgess, uh, one other episode, Elegy. And and he he had, he had a bunch of uh, horror film stuff that I I uh, know noted on here. He was in The Invisible Man Returns, The Mummy's Hand, and The Beast from Twenty Thousand Phantoms. That was one of the very first Harryhausen films, by the way. I don't yeah. I've not seen that, but I know that's a precursor to Godzilla. But I know that I know what that film is. Um, 
Yeah, he was an elegy, which is one of, one of my favorite episodes from season one. Uh, if people have not seen that, go check it out. He plays a character called Wickwire, which once, once I finally read the credit, I'm like, oh, that's why I know that face. He was also a Night 64's Hush Hush Sweet Char- Charlotte, uh, which is more of a psychological film, but people kind of ho- hold it up as uh, like a proto horror film in a lot of ways uh, for being more psychological. Um, I also want to note here, he was in, in Johnny Trouble, Johnny Ringo, but not Johnny Midnight. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So close. <laughs> but uh, after him, we have Alan Napier. Uh, he plays Captain. Now, this name I I cannot figure out. So Prothero? Yeah, Prothero? I, think, I think Prothero. I think you're right. Okay. So, hey, I can read. Um, so only Twilight Zone appearance. Um, he was also in the, the Invisible Man Returns. Um, Mary Poppins, and he was Alfred in the Batman uh, series with Adam West. Yeah, so uh, he had three episodes in that gallery later, so not his only time walking uh, in you know, the, the Serling zone here. <clears throat> so here's the note I have here. This, you'll like the story. In 65, he was the first person to be cast in the Batman TV series as, uh, as Bruce Wayne's faithful but- butler Alfred, a role he played until 68 when the series was canceled. Which, by the way, that's like 100 and some episodes. TV seasons were crazy back then. Um, which, you know, the Twilight Zone susses that out too. It's like, it was only here for three seasons. There's 600 episodes. How'd that happen? I don't know. And now we wait two years for six episodes to show up or whatever. He said in regards to playing Alfred, I had never read the uh, the comics before uh, before I was hired for Batman. My agent rang up and said, hey, I think you're going to play on Batman. And I said, what is Batman? He said, don't you read the comics? He said, no, never. His agent said, I think you're going to be Batman's butler. And he's, I said, how do I know I want to be Batman's butler? Um, it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard of. His agent said, it might be worth over $100,000. So I said I was Batman's butler. <laughs> sold <laughs> like he's like this is dumb you're paying me how much you know bam bafo whatever the like, you know the, the the little alliterations that happen on the screen so yeah i, I mean a hundred thousand dollars even now i'd be like i'll be batman's butler that's fine yeah cha-ching um so uh after him we have uh this i hate this name all right so surreal <laughs> delavante Delafonte. Okay. So he plays one of the officers, uh, three, three other episodes, a piano in the house, the silence and a penny for your thoughts. Yeah. And like, so a penny for your thoughts was probably his biggest role of all of them. Uh, he was a character called Smithers there that people still are. People debate whether or not that's where Waylon Smithers, the, the name came from for the Simpsons. Uh, very, you don't see it in this episode cause he's wearing a hat. This guy has the craziest hair and he, his face is a catcher's mitt. Like if you look him up, it just looks like he got, he looks like when I think of like when they say, Oh, we've put this meat in like a, a woodshed for a week and got it smoked and got cured up. It's like, I think of Cyril Delavante as like a smoked meat, but as a man, that's kind of disgusting. It's scary. <laughs> You were sounding like, like, uh, I don't know, like Ed Gein right now or something. <laughs> I'm not saying I'd want to eat him. I'm just saying that's what I think of. It's not like, it's not, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's, I don't sit here going like, Hmm, Cyril Delavante, man, I'm hungry. No, I, I'm just saying the guy just looks like he is weathered as all get out. Like, uh, you know, 
but very distinct. And it's like, it's almost a bummer because it's clearly this guy's a character actor. And it's like, but when I saw him again, I'm like, I know that guy. Last time we'll see him in the yeah. Twilight Zone. Yeah, I, I, I had recognized him. And, I, you know, it, it's it's clear that you when you say he was a character actor that, from his uh, catalog, because he did some horror, but then he came back for Mary Poppins. So he was in Mary, uh, I'm sorry, he was in uh, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, uh, the 43 version of uh, Phantom of the Opera with Claude Rains, and then the uh, Invisible Man's Revenge. Yeah, so sometimes you just got these guys that are, you know, very workmanlike, but they have a distinct look. And it's like, like you want that guy in front of the camera. Like if he can, if he can act and hit his marks, he just, he's a very distinct looking person. And yeah, uh, like uh, Cyril Delavante, um, you know, you'll be missed. I know it's been 60 years later, but I'm sure you're probably still out there in some capacity because I can just tell that you are smoked meat. So thank you for your service. <laughs> okay. So uh, after that, uh, we have uh, Jack Rain. Um, he plays another officer. Uh, one other episode, spur of the moment. Yeah, so I guess we've not gotten there yet. I, I, and this is me dismissing this because I didn't understand a lot of what he did because there's a lot of British films in the 30s and 40s. So a very established actor. Don't recognize any of his work. Uh, the only thing I I knew from his career, at least, was uh, Bed Noms and Broomsticks. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I guess I didn't pick up on that one. But uh, like a lot of his earlier stuff, I didn't recognize any of that. So, and we have Colin Campbell, uh, Campbell, uh, Campbell, um, Atticut. Yeah. Yeah, it's like right? said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance. He was also in Mary Poppins as well. Oh, I put only Twilight Zone appearance. Moving on. Like, I just couldn't find anything that like, again, I guess Mary Poppins, I just didn't notice, you know, it's, it's a pretty big movie. Like, you know, people remember that. Yeah, well, I thought that was fun connection of three of the actors that we had in this were in the same movie, so that yeah. was kind of cool. Well, uh, you can and, definitely tell uh, that uh, Cyril Delavante was one of the chimney sweeps because, like, he was probably stuck in the chimney for days on end and getting smoked. Getting smoked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that uh, we have Don Kiefer. Um, he's play. God, I hate these names. Spirit of. Uh, Spirito. Yeah. Um, I even I tried on the second watch to make sure I remembered that too. And I was like, that is such a goofy name. I don't <laughs> I don't like it. Um, two other episodes. Uh It's a Good Life. And then he's gonna come back for uh season five. Okay. Uh good on you. I just I only I thought this was his last appearance, but yeah, he was in a good life. He was um he was the guy that was drinking the schnapps and got drunk and was yelling at the kid, um, you know, <laughs> and he ended up uh I want to say he got turned into a Jack in the box, I think in that episode. So that's why I recognized him. Also, he was Mike, the janitor in creep show. Just want to point that out yes. in the crate segment. Um, so I'm sure that was mentioned when we did a good life, but you know, it's always important to bring up creep show, uh, which that movie would not exist without like anthology horror. So, um, and then we, uh, because I, we were so excited to talk about, um, the, the ransoms that were here. Uh, this was written by Charles Beaumont, based upon a short story song for a lady, uh, knowing what we know about Charles Beaumont at this point in his life, I, I, you gotta know this was ghostwritten. I can't find any, uh, any indication of who wrote it with him. Uh, this feels very tonally different from a lot of Beaumont stuff. So someone else had a hand in it. I, I know it's like you just feel it in your bones, but this will be one of the last ones. It's like, 
I guess he gets some story credits later on, but this was like the last like written by, and I'm sure season five will prove me wrong, but that's what I thought from my reading of it. I don't know about the episode. I don't know about a short story song for a lady. I don't know how much that ties into this episode. Um, but yeah, so another Beaumont story, which because of that, I was expecting a little bit more of a humdinger of an ending because Beaumont always usually has something like ready to go. We'll talk about the ending when we get there. Um, also directed by Lamont Johnson. Uh, this is his eighth and final episode of um, the Twilight Zone, which uh, let's see here. Uh, Terry, you actually have not seen any of his his work previous to that. I mean, you maybe you've watched it, but you didn't see any of it for season four. Uh, he directed Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, which I hate that episode. So nobody go back and watch that one. Four o'clock. I also hate that episode. Don't go back and watch that one. Kick the Cam was pretty good. One more Paul Bearer was not great. Nothing in the Dark, which explains why we have um, uh, Glass Cooper back, because she was the lead in that. And that's a great episode with Robert Redford. Um, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, which was one of my favorite episodes of season three. And The Shelter, which was also another great episode of season three. So weird that Lamont Johnson... Um, there was so much here that I loved and there's also much here that I didn't like. So I don't know if I blame his directing for some of the th- scripts that he had to work with. Yeah. I, this one, I, this one was kind of weird. Um, I don't know. Like, I just think that there was something a little bit off for both the directing and the writing on it. Um, I don't know who was more to blame on it, but We'll talk about it throughout the episode. But if if you have not seen Five Characters Search of an Exit, and if people listening to this episode uh, have not watched that or not watched it recently, do yourself a favor. That one is just, it's so bizarre and great. Um, it's just, it's one of the better, like, like we always, we have our twist rating on the show because whenever we think of the Twilight Zone, we think of like, and the twist, and then it turns out that that's not always as prevalent in terms of like, each episode, you know, it finds its own way. None of it always like is ha- hanging on the twist. The twist in five characters search of an exit is a great one. And it's and credit to Lamont Johnson figuring out how you shoot that story the way he did. Um, it's, it's a cool episode, but yeah. Um, so you'd think having a Beaumont story, a Beaumont script and Lamont Johnson directing this, that, that, um, that this would be in good hands coming into the, 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 almost the end of the season. But, um, yeah, so, uh, I think that's going to do it for cast and crew. Uh, let's just get on to Serling and then talk about passage on the lady Anne. portrait of a honeymoon couple getting ready for a journey with a difference. These newlyweds have been married for six years and they're not taking this honeymoon to start their life, but rather to save it. Or so Eileen Ransom thinks she doesn't know why she insisted on the ship for this voyage, except that it'd give them some time. And she'd never been on one before. Certainly never one like the Lady Anne. The tickets read New York to Southampton. But this old liner is going somewhere else. Its destination, the Twilight Zone. Yeah, so um, I don't know about you, but the beginning of this episode has this very upbeat and kind of comedic like music to it. And I'm like, oh, this might be a kind of a fun episode. And it's like, oh, this couple is not happy. Like it's just right out of the gate. You get the picture that there's trouble. Yeah. I, I, 
And I, uh, brief aside here for a second, I apologize to our listeners for me skipping over the, the director and writer of this oh, episode. Dude, whatever. I, I think I would think it was just more or less that I was uh, confused by this entire episode in general. <laughs> so why not confuse the rest of my, my work here? I, hey, you know, that's why we, we, we co-captain this and, you know. If you know, if you if you miss something, I'm there. And then if I miss something, which is always going to happen, you're there too. So, um, yeah, the sh- the ship is the we're, the ship is fine. We're moving forward. Um, so, yeah, um, we get th- so there's some some decent little character beats in here that 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 do show through the episode. Like uh, as they're sitting, this couple sitting in this travel agency, uh, Alan keeps flipping his like pocket watch, and it's you can tell it's like one of his like just like habits of like you know. Um, like for me, like, I know if you give me, um, if you give me like a yo-yo, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit there and just like, I, it's like, I, I absentmindedly, I will sometimes pace. I pace a lot and you give me a yo-yo, that thing's going to fire off every three seconds. I'm going to know everybody around me. Why a yo-yo in particular? I don't know, but we all have our things like fidget spinners now, or well, that was this two years ago or those little, um, what, what were they called? Do you know those little boxes that people would have that had like all the little different buttons on it and things? that people would hold that was like right after fidget spinners. Yeah. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'd never had any of those things. I, I just cracked my knuckles. So <laughs> yeah, I do that too. But, uh, so that's, that's just one of his ticks that he has. And then, um, uh, there's also this running, um, running thing of, he goes to light a cigarette and, um, uh, uh um, his wife, um, her name is Eileen. He calls her Ellie, right? I think that's what he refers to her, um, through the episode. She's like, can I have one? And he's like, okay, which by the way, um, I know they're actors on a set together. He just lit that cigarette with his own mouth and hands it to her. And she just takes it in her mouth. Like there's no problem. It's a different time. <laughs> yeah, definitely a different time right now. Well, so. that, that's fair, but I mean, it's just, you know, so much smoking in this. Like I, I, when we first started this series, I, I was like, I used to keep count of all the cigarettes that, that we'd find. And I realized that kind of became like a bit silly because there's just episodes where people aren't smoking. This one, this, this one would have been up there so much smoking. Uh, but, um, so they're sitting there waiting, um, and, and he was like, did you get an appointment? She's like, I did. And then they go over and meet Spirito. Did you notice some of the posters though, for the different locations around that people could travel to? I saw the Egypt one. Did you see the other one that like did not age well at all from 1963 to today? No, I, I, which one was that? The Orient. Like that's not what you would say now. <laughs> like that's not, that is, that is not kosher. Like, like you, um, like, uh, what was it? Um, like Margaret Cho made a a comment once she's like, uh, you know, you can have Oriental rugs, but not Oriental people. Like, so it's like, I don't think calling the area, the Orient is not, I don't think you can do that now. You know, like, so I was like, whew, that's, that's changed. Uh, but they sit down at this desk, uh, and talk to Spirito about, um, they, they're going to go to London and he's trying to arrange them, um, like the best way to travel. And that becomes the first conflict with the couple and their agitation with themselves and uh, Spirito. Yeah, uh, it seems that Alan is just not willing to be there at all. He seems uh, just kind of irritated the entire time. Like you said. Yeah, he just seems pissed. This seems annoying. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, like, you know, and upon, like, trying to figure out the best, uh, you know, uh, vehicle to get to London. Um, 
they they want to take a ship. Um, it, they want to, It's like his wife wants to take the longest that she possibly can to get there. And we find out later why, but it's like the um, the travel agent is really confused by this. He's like, you must really have a lot of time to just like spend on this vacation, essentially. Yeah, but he's also like, well, if you're worried about airplanes, they're quite safe now. And then I did like that the script was she was she she Ellie was like, uh, I used to be a stewardess. I'm I'm not too worried about you know airline flight. She's like, I want a ship. And Spirito was like, it's not the right time of year for that. A lot of like the the lanes are closed or ships are doing different things. And um, but Alan was kind of like he he's like kind of. Like, why not take a plane? If you're worried about relaxing, we can just take a plane. But, but Eileen, she is very much, she wants to go by ship. And, uh, so Spirito brings out like this, like listing of, um, different ships. And she, uh, points at the lady Anne, and he's like, Oh, that's a relic. You don't want that. And, uh, she's like, well, why not? So from here, like, it's like, it's one of those things that you get the notion that it's like, as you said, she wants to take like the long way to London, but the travel agent's like, yeah, you could do that. But this is like, this thing is just old and not worth the time. And basically it's like, he's trying to tell her to do anything other than that one, but that's what she wants. Yeah. And it, I mean, she's not taking no for an answer right now. And, uh, and it, she seems to be calling the shots and, uh, they, they, you know, Alan's like, you know, book it. Get get the tickets. Let's do it. Did you did you note the day that the ship was leaving? No, it was Thursday. So I wrote in my notes on Thursday we leave for the Lady Anne. Like that's what I wanted to write. I was like, that's amazing that they're actually leaving on Thursday. Um, so I think that's a nice tie into the last episode. Uh, but so uh, Alan's contempt for everything is barely contained. He's just like, fine, whatever words to just do it. And then like the, the, with the agent, like giving him pushback, it's like, he's almost like, do I need to, do I need to smack you as well? Like he didn't, I'm not saying he smacked his wife, but he's just, he's just annoyed, you know? Um, and yeah. And that's when we get to the, the Serling intro of him. I like that he's sitting in a chair, like with a cigarette, just out, like, you know, just, He's going to, he's going to have, it's going to be an after school special talk about this, this, uh, marriage that they're trying to save by taking a ship. So I, I appreciated that, but, um, there it's a honeymoon cruise six years after the fact. Um, that's, you know, I guess that happens sometimes, but it just feels weird calling them a honeymoon couple. That's probably what we're going to be though, at some point, because what we took, for our honeymoon, my wife and I was just like a shell of what we actually wanted to do. But now with all the, the COVID scare and travel scares and that we might be waiting six years to go actually go on the real trip that we wanted. So, well, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's valid, but it just, I don't think, would, would you call it, would you call it your honeymoon then? Or would you just call it like we're, we're owed like this, this, I don't know what you call it. I guess honeymoon's correct. I don't, we, we didn't, we kind of combine everything by having uh, our Vegas uh, Vegas wedding. And it's like, can we get buried through the drive through Which we almost did. Uh, and then to spend the week there. So I guess I, guess I can't even uh, really qualify what a honeymoon is. So who am I? I mean, to each their own, I, whatever, whoever gets your fancy. But I think that this was more of a product of Alan's job. Um, That's fair. They don't clearly state that, but through more of the episode, we find out that he's a workaholic. Yeah. So then 
after the Serling bit, uh, we get to them um, outside of like the boarding ramp for the Lady Anne, and um, we learn that you know it's it's important to refer to the ship as a she, not an it. And this is when they first meet the Mackenzies, the older couple, uh, and. <laughs> The, the gentleman, he, he is um, distra- not distraught, it's not the right word, but like out of sorts because he's like, wait, wait, you got tickets? They're like, yeah. And it's like, that, that's, no, show them to me. <laughs> and like, I, uh, you know, um, Eileen is like, she will, but you can tell Alan's like, I don't, why do we owe you an explanation of what we're about to do? Um, but yeah, it, so from the, from the jump, you realize like everybody else boarding the ship is uh, wary of this this new couple showing up. And I thought that set up an interesting um, mystery for the episode. Yeah, that was that was kind of cool. And I it seemed very sinister at that point, uh, especially since uh, Toby seemed so, I guess, curious about why they were getting on the ship. Yeah, and so then um, they, they board and... Um, they end up in their room, uh, which, uh, I, let's, let's talk about the room decoration for a second. Like this ship is older. You could tell it was probably like, I think they mentioned it even during the episode, but this is a, this is a ship from like the, the thirties, forties and their room is like the epitome of like that twenties, thirties, like, uh, like just when you say the gilded age, like everything is just over the top and very, um, extravagant like it looks it definitely looks dated now but at the time i'm sure that was like like the bee's knees you know like that's where you wanted to be at like i just the over decoration all like the ornamentation it is it's a room out of time and it the the set design in this episode for this and the other parts of the ship it was really cool i really dug it um these are kind of the things that i dig um, like when I go to different locations, like old, old timey locations and that, I really like going to old B and B's and old hotels. Um, so this was right up my alley. I thought the, the room and then the, like the, the dining areas and that were beautiful. Uh, it just, it really set, a a, a, a time period for you while you looked into this. Yeah. I also put my notes here kind of, this is, uh, you know, a bit of a, a backhanded compliment. It's not even a compliment. I was like, this room looks like an estate sale. <laughs> it looks like, Oh, we got to sell this weird mirror and this, this beaded bed, make an offer. We got to get rid of it. So, um, I thought that was, I think that was worth uh, noting. Um, so the bed was kick ass too. It was did you notice that it had like a little, like uh like ship, like part to it yeah like it no was, like, like it looked like the bow of a ship or it whatever did, and it's like there was the, i would stay in that room you know i i but it's just it just definitely looks like it's out of time and that's the point you know and she loves it he's like this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever been in my life <laughs> so yeah i i um i i like that even then you get the uh, the tension between the couple yeah it unfolds a little bit more um as they're getting like settled. Uh, but she, she's kind of on a high right now. Uh, his wife is on a high because she's digging the room like crazy. She's like, like really loving the bed, really loving the decorations and that. And then, um, you know, they hear the horn for that. They're about to, uh, set sail. So, uh, she's like, Oh wait, we got to go up on board. And he's like, why? He's like, 
because that's what we do. You know, like that's what everybody does when we're about to leave. Yeah. So they go up to the deck to see the ship off. And then before that actually happens, like, well, before the ship actually departs, um, uh, uh, the senior McKenzie and the, the, you keep saying his name the right way. And I just keep putting McKenzie. It is, um, Toby, Toby. Yeah. Toby yeah, McKenzie and, and, and uh, Burgess Burgess. They try to deter the ransoms for staying on the ship. And they tell them like, it's like, Oh, there's a lot. You don't know. The ship's falling apart. This handrail could kill people and all this stuff. And so then there's a bit there where, uh, Eileen's like, well, if this is such a death trap, why are you on it? And like, there's that, that answer of, well, we're old and eccentric, which I thought was a great line of, like, <laughs> uh, but then they try to buy the ransoms off. Eventually the price goes up to $10,000 and 63, which I think is, um, I think you could have bought Canada at that point for that amount of money. Um, so, uh, but Alan realizes that this is important to his wife and he even like goes to the guys. He's like, well, why not make it even hundred thousand? They're like, we don't have that kind of money. He's like, well then never mind. Um, so they, they don't take the money. They stay there. And as they go up the, the walkway or the stairwell that, you know, could or could not support a child's weight. We don't know. Um, you have Toby and, um, and uh, Burgess being like, well, we tried. And it's like, oh, not hard enough. So again, there's that notion of like, you see other forces at play feeling that the ransom's presence is kind of gunking up the works, but we don't know why. Right. And it, we're still not sure if it's of a sinister manner or if they're like intruding on some like, I don't know, hellfire club meeting. I don't know. It's really weird, um, but you could Alan's, uh, I guess, lack of actions here by not taking the money in that is a real testament to what he saw in his wife's, uh, you know, reaction to the ship and that well, seeing the room. She, yeah, because even even then when they get to the top of the walkway, she even asks him like, or she even states to him like, "I wasn't sure if you take the money or not," and so. It, you, you mentioned like his character being like, this is what she wants. This is what we want to do. Um, that's good for him, but she wasn't even sure if he would have taken the money and gotten them off the ship. So I think it was important for her to note that she wasn't sure how he would have reacted to it. Yeah. But even then it's like, uh, I think that for her knowing him as well as she does and not like, not really thinking that he, would have just stayed on the ship and just wrote it out. He would have taken the money. Like that's kind of, it's kind of sad in the fact that she would have thought that about him and like kind of questioned his behavior. But you, you, you know that now it's like, this means something to him too. Now it means her happiness is important to him, at least in some regards. Well, even when they're boarding the ship originally, he's like, I made a promise. Like he sounds annoyed by it, but he's like, I made a promise. And when we get to the conversation in the bar here in a minute, it's like he, it's almost like he knows that if he, if he does X, Y, Z, that it's, <laughs> this, this is going to sound real shitty, but it's like, you get these people and maybe cause I, I see part of me and, and Alan and I hate this part of me where it's like, sometimes like you want this. Okay, great. We'll do this. All right. Are you happy? Like it's, it's, it's that, it's that, passive aggressive part of me that comes out sometimes where it's like, no, 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 no. You want to do this. We're going to do this. And for him to be like, no, I made a promise, 
basically to show her how frivolous it may have been. So hopefully, hopefully there's more going on with that, but you get that vibe of like, no, 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 no. You want to drag me on the ship for two weeks. You're going to put up with me for two weeks, you know, like, so I wasn't sure how I felt about Alan at this point. Yeah. I, there wasn't really like a whole lot to make me like him as a character. Yeah. But the fact that he, he let his wife make the decisions about taking the ship and then what ship to take. And it's like, is he a douche? I don't know. Like, I, I think he might be okay, but then like other aspects of his character make me think he's just a standoffish douche. I mean, at least he didn't hang her out to dry while talking to those guys and they were acting as a team. So that points to that, you know, like it's like, you may not be happy with where your relationship is, but you, you're still like, it's almost like, yeah, I'm not happy with my marriage, but I don't know you two old guys. I don't know you Waldorf Waldorf and um, the other dude Statler. I don't know you guys, you know, you're just up in the, the balcony, making fun of the Muppet show. I don't know who you guys are. I'm not taking your money. <laughs> Um, Ooh, hiss. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so then, then we get to the next morning and, uh, this, this is something that I thought was just kind of funny where she wakes up in their boat bed, um, you know, and, and, uh, she's like, what are you doing up so early? And he's like, it's almost 11. I would have been like, as much as, uh, as much as I'm frustrated with Alan, I'm like, that's my life. <laughs> I, I, I love my wife to death and I'm so happy that we are married, but she'd be like, it's, you know, it's early. It's almost 11. I'd be like that. No, I've been up for four hours. I don't know what you've been doing. I can relate to that. No, I, I know what you're saying too. It's, it's like sometimes, uh, you don't, you don't do anything after work because you're so exhausted, but then the weekend comes along and it's like, now I got to do everything. And so you're up early and then the other person is like, Oh, I'm going to sleep in. I don't, <laughs> But it just—I love that he, she is really taking on the vacation mode at this point, and he is still like fidgeting. So yeah. you know that he's perturbed by the fact that he can't do his work right now. Yeah, which I mean, it, he was still doing paperwork before they like got on the ship because he handed off uh, some documents to somebody before, and also knowing that this is going to be a fourteen-day voyage. But the the second day, not even not even twenty-four hours being on the ship. He's wearing a shirt and tie and looking out the, the portal as she wakes up and, um, you know, and then he's fiddling with his watch and then she, but there's that brief moment of sweetness where he's like, good morning and good morning. They actually have like a nice kiss, but then she takes the watch from him and starts messing with it. He gets mad at her, which I mean, whatever that was, but he's like, hurry up. We have a fire drill. It's like in like 10 minutes. It's like, but if you've known about the fire drill for a while, maybe you could have woke her up earlier. That's just me, but whatever. No, it's a good point. I think that, uh, especially for uh, certain certain women, my wife especially, if if I woke her up ten minutes before we had to be somewhere, she would be so pissed. <laughs> yes, uh, I I agree. Like even I don't I don't know about you. Okay, here here this is a, we're gonna we're gonna dig a little deep on, on our, our our various uh, the marriages that we have. Uh, if you wake up like ten minutes before the alarm. Do you just, do you usually just generally accept like, well, I'm up because I don't think 10 minutes more of sleep is going to do any good. Uh, I don't know if you feel that way or not. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to have to go with, no, I need that extra 10 okay, minutes because sometimes fine. a day is going to be a grudge for me. <laughs> that's fair. But it's like, there's just like, it, like, um, how the other day it was, it was yesterday. Um, 
our one cat was in the bed and I was petting him. And then, uh, uh, there's a thunder crack that happened outside and he has never heard thunder before because he's still a kitten. And he just bolted out of the bed and ran over my wife's head and she woke up and was upset. It was like 10 minutes before we're supposed to wake up. And I've been like, well, I guess we're up now. Nope. That she was staying in bed <laughs> like at that point. Like, so whatever I, I like, I don't know. There's a certain point of like, you know, if I've not gotten the rest that I need by this point in time, I don't think I'm going to get it. That's just me, though. I mean, it's that's usually how my brain thinks about it. But then the other part of me where it's like, dude, the rest of this day is going to suck. You may as well just soak up this extra 10 minutes while you can. <laughs> that's fair. So they go up. Uh, they go up to um, up to the top deck or whatever it is to learn about the fire drill. And this is when we learn the other the other portion of this is that. All the other passengers are also older, and uh, Alan says that he looked at the manifest and said none of them are, are under seventy five. And you see all these old people lined up with these huge, um, like life preservers they're learning how to put on and everything. And um, and so Eileen's a little. She's like, oh, I didn't realize. It's like. I, I don't know how that's a negative. It's like if you're taking a 14 day cruise and you're trying to save your marriage, even they even say it later. It's like, it, we, we weren't looking to make friends. I don't know. Like could be worse. Could be spring break. Right. Could be, uh, all children. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, is, is uh, Raffi playing the ship? Oh no. Um, but so they go through fire drill practice, all that stuff. And then, so then it cuts to the sequence in the bar, which is one of the more, uh, um, visceral painful moments I've seen at a twilight zone and credit to, um, to the two leads, uh, credit to, um, to Joyce Van Patten and Lee Phillips, because they're, even though you can still, you can still feel the, the trappings of like, some of the types of acting styles credit to her. Like I, I granted they don't always give her the best dialogue to work with, but her, her performance during the bar sequence is probably the highlight of this episode for me because of just how a lot of things spill out like immediately. Right. But I'm going to play a quick, quick bite with one of my favorite jokes I've heard this season as they, 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 once they realize that they're on this crew of old people, not crew, this, this whole passenger list of old people. Cause they even, she's like, well, maybe it's just first class. He's like, it's all first class. It's all old people. They go down to the bar and, and Alan has one of my favorite lines so far this season. It's this one. Looks like we're in time for the orgy. That's what <laughs> I knew it. I knew it, Paul. I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> That was what just just a great line, a great line. And she's like, shh, shh, shh. like. <laughs> so then, so then their marriage, which was already falling apart, just collapses in this bar, and it's like three or four minutes of dialogue, and it is, it's brutal. And her, her performance here is just it's what sells it because. As she's like, first she apologizes, not realizing what they had booked for and him kind of like not giving her even like, a, like an inch with all that. And then her painting, like the whole situation of like, you just want to worry about business, like, and all this stuff. And like, I've been the, the nagging wife and how he was like, well, once I get this deal over, we'll be good. And she's like, you always say that. And it's always the next deal. Um, some of that dialogue could have been over the top and just yelled, but she makes it much more, um, 
uh, not venomous isn't the right word, but more like matter of fact. And it just, it just sells it. Yeah. I, I, you know, honestly, I've had these kind of arguments with like, uh, ex-girlfriends and stuff like that while I've been out at dinner. It's more like throwing it right in your face. Like, I'm pissed. You got to know this right now. And if you if you feel embarrassed, you better wait until <laughs> the next thing happens. If you piss me off even more, like she is <laughs> fed up. Yeah, um, but her performance is so good in this. And also, like, I don't know, something about her eyes and face just sells it. Like she is. This is a like it's a very natural moment, you know. And um, maybe she's just mad at Martin Basalm for keeping all the murder dolls in their basement, and that's why they got divorced. And maybe that's what's coming out now during this performance. I don't know, but. Like I, I was just, just, I, I dug her performance and there, there's, there's sarcasm there. There's the bit where they order the martinis and she just like chugs. He's like, you're supposed to sip that. She's like, another one, please. Like, like there's this whole bit. And then eventually, um, she's like, well, don't worry. You know, once, once the ship docks, I'm going to leave. And he's like, I think that'd be a good idea. And it's like, he doesn't even attempt to save their relationship, you know? And it's like. Son of a bitch. Like it is, it is just, it's just hard going to watch all of that. Yeah. It was an uncomfortable situation because it seemed for me, I, in the way I viewed it, it seemed very natural. It seemed almost like you were looking at a possible couple going through a situation. I mean, I've seen people have these kinds of arguments before. I've been in this kind of argument before with people in social settings. It, it's just it looks very natural and not played out like she could have been like belligerent or whatever and like you said possibly yelling but it just seems like so realistic yeah i just feel like there's been so many times where unfortunately during the course of this original series where some of the scripts have not been very well served they've not served the women in the roles that they've been in where they just they just turn up to 11 because that's what is kind of commanded of the script and she could have done that and made this much more explosive in terms of volume but i think just because these this couple's been together at least six years. They've been married six years. They you don't know how long they were before that, like together. And even there's the bit where you have um um the couple, uh the what the the the, the McKenzie's like watching all of this and they're like and uh and the wife was gonna kind of intervene and the husband Toby puts like his hand on her knee and is like, nah, I just let it kind of go. Um like you can tell that it's still being heard, but there's a whole thing too, where she's like, it doesn't matter. Like who, who the hell's going to care what we're talking about right now? It's like, she kind of has a point because there's, there's something much bigger going on around them with all these older people. And it's like, that's kind of been forgotten because their, their, their marriage is ending right there. Um, so, um, I think if this was something to be remade today, um, I think this would would be a sequence that'd probably be longer and probably got you further. And I don't I don't think that's the wrong decision, but this is really effective. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that the the way that they've built up to this uh seems very good for the format of the episode and um you can see that there is distress in her eyes and that like it it's a believable scene. 
Yeah, which I've, I've, I've griped about a lot of episodes this season, kind of like padding. And there's a little bit of this a little later, and we'll get to that in a minute. But so far, everything here has kind of felt like it was needed for this episode to function. And this is very important. So, um, so that we get to the next day. And they're up on deck together, and uh, Eileen's like kind of like reading a magazine, has like the like the the Jackie Onassis like headscarf and like glasses, you know, like the sunglasses. And so um, the McKenzies come up and was like, "Would you like to join us for tea?" And before Alec can say no, Eileen's like, "Absolutely, we'll join you for tea." Which is one of those things. It's like you could tell with a couple trying to keep the appearance that they're together. That's one of those power moves of like, screw you. If you're not going to talk to me, let's talk to them at least. Like, I thought that was a great moment of like, yes, I could sit here and be my own personal hell, or I could talk to these kindly British people and you're going to join me, whether you like it or not. I thought that was kind of funny. And I think it's a way to almost torture him in a sense yes. too. Like <laughs> you didn't want to be here. So suck it. Yeah. So then. Um, that's when we get down to the T the T moment, which this scene's important. I think it goes on a little too long. That's just my opinion, but, um, there, so as they sit down to T, they talk about like the last time the lady and picked up a new passenger was in 48 and they go through all this stuff. And there's this, an amazing button to that's the halfway point of this episode. Uh, whenever they're like, Oh, we've come to a decision. So the McKenzie's are talking and, um, and, and Eileen's like, what? And, um, Millie's like, uh, well, we've decided that you don't have to die after all. And then holds up like a tray of cookies. And then it's like, the, the scene just ends, it goes to commercial break. And it's like, I don't know about you, but that's just, it was such a, like a stark, like there's all this polite Britishness going on on this, like wonderfully old ship that has its charm. And it's like, oh, by the way, we decided that you don't have to die. It's like this episode suddenly it was like, it went from like, oh, this is kind of interesting to what? Yeah. Like dun, dun, dun new twilight zone twist. Yeah. And then it gets walked back immediately. When we go we come back for commercial break where, where Toby's like, no, 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 no. She meant uh die of boredom. And she's like, Oh, that's what I meant. It's like, you nope, you finished your sentence and we're offering them cookies. Pretty sure you said you didn't have to die. Yeah, I would. I would have been like, uh, "No, Toby, let her finish. <laughs> let her finish this idea, because the whole dying thing has really got me going now." Yeah. So um, we find out that this is actually going to be the last, like, uh, back and forth of Voyage of the Lady Anne. That's why the ship is full of old passengers, because um, you you find out from the Mackenzies talking that oh, this used to be a ship that had a lot of newlyweds on it. And this is where a lot of people, you know, like there was basically a honeymoon ship um, or, you know, like, I don't know. I talk about being spring break for all these people being a lot younger. So you got all these newlywed couples together on the ship. That's a 14 day, like 14 day voyage. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to call it, They should have called this episode bone voyage. That's what they should have called it. That's what I think that would have been better. Cause this, if this isn't a commercial for Cialis, I don't know what is. But, um, so that's why they're all here because they all had found love because of the lady Anne. And so as they're talking, uh, uh, Alan gets up to get drinks, which, you know, good on him. Uh, but the, the McKinsey's keep talking about all the different people around. They're pointing out very specifics about so-and-so met so-and-so here. And this is why they're all here. 
everybody has a story. Everybody either had brought their love to the ship or they found love on the ship. And they said that the lady Anne has that kind of magic while uh, Eileen's marriage is falling apart in front of her. Yeah. And you can see like throughout like parts of these conversations that she's getting, she's getting a little upset. Um, like when Burgess comes over and they're continuing these conversations and they're talking about different, different people on the ship. Like they're pointing out certain couples that are there and, Oh, you know, this guy over here, he, his wife was supposed to be with him, but she passed. So, but he still makes it a point to come to the ship. She's, you can see she's slowly getting more and more upset. Yeah. Cause she's seeing like, like what was going on around this. And she, it's like the thing that's all bringing them together is the thing she doesn't have, you know? So, um, it's effective. I just think it goes on a little too long. That's just me. Um, so, um, and we even get the bit too, where Burgess is telling them about like, uh, like, Oh, you know, like this was the greatest ship ever. And everyone's like, ah, queen of the fleet, you know, first of her name, breaker of chains or whatever else they called the ship. I don't know. Queen of dragons. Um, and, uh, he ends up like showing a picture of his wife saying, you know, like basically you find out that his wife had passed before this voyage. And so he's there because of the love they had for his wife. And that's what sends Eileen over the edge. She starts crying and she's upset. Um, but, um, yeah, so we get this whole moment about how, like, uh, even like Millie's talking about like how, about the power of love, uh, and all the things that like love can do. And it's, it's a, it, you know, it's an important moment. Um, but then we go from there to Eileen and Alan going up, up, up top to the, you know, whatever, like up to the railing on top of the boat. And they're talking about things. And the camera pushes in. Actually, I should take this back before they go to the, the the point on the other the other side of the ship. It's it's the third time we see Alan pull a cigarette, and the first two times he pulls a cigarette, she's like she asks if she can have one, and he hands her a cigarette. This time, he pulls a cigarette, and she's just like looking off in the distance. He offers it to her, and she says no, which I think is important. Uh, cause it's a, a little character beat of like, she's not looking to, to join him in something now, which that's the way I read that. I don't know how you, how you read that or, or whatever. I didn't really catch that little part there, but uh, that's, uh, that is interesting. I, I didn't really uh, make that correlation either. So yeah, they go to the other, sh- the other side of the ship and they're talking and the camera pushes in on Alan. And then as he's talking about something, I forget specifically what, when the camera pulls back, Eileen's is gone. So when I thought Eileen was the main character of the episode, which I still believe she is, the episode pivots to Alan trying to find Eileen because she's just gone. And so this becomes um, this whole um, thing of like him running around the ship, which I'm just going to say, just throw it out there. All these people that are over the age of 75, if you go up to them and be like, have you seen my wife? And they say, who are you talking about? It's like the one that's not 75. You think that would be... <laughs> You think that would stand out, you know, I think that would be the important thing, you know, like, you know, the young one, have you seen her, you know, but everybody's like, I don't, have you checked the library? Have you checked, you know, have you checked, uh, whatever. Right. So it becomes this whole thing and he's distraught. And then at one point, um, uh, Toby comes over to him. He's like, have you not found your wife yet? He's like, no. And he's like, eh, she couldn't have fallen off. That would have been way too tough. Let's go have a drink. Like, (laughs) 
it's like, oh, your wife's missing? Let's just go have a drink, you know? So, yeah. So they end up back down at the bar. Um, and they're talking some more. And this is when we get... Um, I think it's a good scene. I just, I don't Maybe we can talk about this at the end. I feel like some of the, the story beats and some of the, the pacing gets a little odd. Now, I think this should have been more um, pressure on Alan to find his wife as opposed to having Burr just be drunk and go on a tangent about why he's upset about the end of the Lady Anne. I think that would probably have been better served during the tea service a little better. Um, because he's now talking about how it's the end of the way of life and how like that the ship still has purpose and it still has, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing and people just are in a rush and all this stuff. And it's like, it speaks to Alan a great deal, but it just feels oddly placed because it's like, he can't find his wife. I would think that's more, if it was me, I'd be like, just, can you, can you stop talking? Have you seen the young woman? You've seen her previously, right? She's the one that's not incredibly old. Have you seen her? That, that, you know, that's a, a very good point. Um, I think if we had to rearrange certain parts of this episode, those would definitely be the ones that would, would have to be adjusted and rearranged a little bit because uh, going back to that scene, does only a little bit for the story, but not enough to really suggest that, you know, the, the, the problem now that Alan is feeling is as important as it's supposed to be throughout the rest of like the next, like five minutes of the, of the episode. Yeah. And so, did, uh, it's did a little you, disjointed. It is. But so did you notice bef- before he gets pulled down for the drink, there's a bit where he goes, looks in his bedroom. Did you see the weird freeze frame of the bedroom? That was a little out of focus. Did you notice that or not? Like the the estate room, like he looks in and it's like it's just a, st- a static shot of the bedroom, but it's like a static shot and it's like a still frame and it's fuzzy. And I'm like, why can't you just shoot the bedroom without somebody in it? Whatever. I don't know. It was just weird. Um, not the first time that Twilight Zone's done something like that, but it just felt odd. But anyway, so after that happens, Alan, uh, then after having a drink at the bar and then listening to Burgess, um. <laughs> he goes back to his room and he goes to grab another drink. And then his wife, like Eileen's in the bed. She's in, she's in the boat bed, uh, you know, and, um, like he's like, you know, now like thankful, like the, 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 the switch is flipped. He wants his wife. He misses her. He realizes that he's been prioritizing the wrong things. Like I get it that from an episode, we're supposed to know that I feel like the emotional, um, flip of the switch is very sudden and I don't buy it emotionally. I get it from a story standpoint though. Yeah. And, and if we would have had uh, Alan through more distress, maybe it would have made more sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, I understand like you said, why we need this kind of bit for the rest of the story. But I like how she's like, oh, you're kissing me passionately. You're drunk. He's like, I'm not drunk. I'm like, you were literally drinking when you walked in the room and you had like scotch before you got in here. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. And he got like, doesn't he take his watch and throws out like the porthole to be like, we're, you know, new era. We're here now. Right. So then they're madly in love together, whatever. And so um, they, before we get to the party that's happening, 
Uh, we get a bit with um, the McKenzie's where Toby and Millie are, are um, they're like up, you know, above deck and Millie's throwing her husband's old letters away in front of him. And he's like, why, why now? She's like, I don't need them anymore. And it's like, that's a, that's a nice touch because it, it still feels ominous because he doesn't question like now that he knows what, why she's doing it, he doesn't question it. And of all the things that may be frivolous in this episode, I like that moment. It almost seemed like there was something symbolic about, um, you know, Alan throwing out the watch because almost immediately after that scene, we see uh, the McKenzie's on the side and she's th- his wife is throwing off the letters. Like It seems like there's some symbolic moment there between the two offerings to the ship you know or offerings to the sea rather yeah well for him it's him giving up his changing his priorities and for her it's like we'll never be apart again so i don't need to read these you know like i can see that it's like you're giving up these parts of your life because they're 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 now gone to you right so but also why are you throwing all that trash in the ocean whatever that's just me um so um now we get to the party um which um, the next time that we're able to be like physically in the same p- space and have a party, Terry, can you please buy me one of those hats that we saw these hats? The party hats were amazing in this episode. I want all these party hats. They look like they're made by like kindergartners, <laughs> uh, like, like construction paper and tinfoil. Oh, like I, I know you're not the biggest gamer, but I was getting like this Bioshock aesthetic the entire time because like it just the, the that game is set and um at New Year's Eve of like '53, but it's an underwater city that was like developed in the '30s. So you get that like that still kind of like you know that kind of like gilded age look with these hats i'm like this is bioshock but without the weird creepy guys and uh with drills for hands which you know if that would have showed up too i'd have been okay with but i need one of these party hats i love the one that um, toby was wearing it looked kind of like a fez with glitter on it i loved it yeah that's fun i i honestly was thinking of uh signs where they're wearing the tin foil. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's a good call uh so they get to this party which um yeah, it's it's kind of a nice thing because like uh, the the couple, the ransoms are now madly in love again, and uh, like then so Millie is like happy that um, that the lady Anne worked her magic like one last time, and they have this nice sweet moment. Which also, I mean, can't, you can't tell me that this didn't remind you of The Shining a little bit either. Like it had some Shining vibes to it of like times times past, like with um, just the aesthetic and just kind of like people knowing more than those involved. I got, I got a little vibe of that, which I know clearly the shining was not written then, but I kept thinking of the overlook while looking at some of this stuff. Um, so they party, they dance. Uh, it's a nice, you know, it's a nice little moment. Uh, but then at the same time, while this is going on, uh, they hear the engine stop. Like Alan, hears the engine stop. And, um, Toby's like, ah, nothing to worry about. We're, you know, we're good. Let's just party. Let's just throw down. Uh, cause you know that, uh, Toby, the, the actor was like, they're bringing champagne out. This shit's expensive. We're going to drink all of it on set. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> Let's soak it up, man. Oh, I blew my line. I better drink this again. You know? So, um, 
No, that's a nice moment. Like, uh, the whole, the whole, like the ship looks pretty, like it's a nice segment. Um, and then I think that's when, before they do dancing though, that's when they meet the captain. I want to believe like they met the captain. He's like, Oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. Hope you had fun. I'll be right back. And he also said, have you packed your things? He's like, why would, why would we need to do that? And he's like, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> that's not ominous. So yeah, yeah. He, he says to the Mackenzie's like, you guys didn't explain to him. It's like, well, we didn't feel like it was like the right time. Yeah. So then once they get some partying in, um, the, the captain comes back and was like, all right, time to go. And they're like, what? And he's like, we got to remove you from the ship. And they're like, and Alan keeps asking why. And it's like, and they don't give him an answer. It's like, just, you, you need to go. We've packed your things. He's like, why are you going to drop us off in the ocean? It's like, don't worry. Just come along. We've, we've got you a lifeboat. Uh, we signaled where you are. You'll be picked up quickly. We've given you all the amenities. He's like, but why? And then, um, um, smoked, uh, meat man grabs a gun and pulls it out and says, just, you know, come along. And, uh, Toby was like, we'll, we'll come along with you guys as far as we can. And so Alan just keeps questioning it. Eileen's confused and it's like, we're having a great time. We're partying. You're going to kick us off the boat. And they don't really tell them why. Um, so then we get to the outside where they put him in the lifeboat and Alan's like, but I thought you liked us. And then Eileen looks around and sees everybody like, there's no menace. It's just more of a formality. And she's like, they do like us. And she, you know, gets into the lifeboat with him. They lower it and they, you know, they take care of the moorings and then the boat itself is like adrift, um, with the knowledge that they're going to be picked up soon. And yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I, I, I wasn't expecting this ending for this episode. We not really got to the true ending, but I wasn't expect, I was expecting something a lot more, uh, malevolent than what we got. Yeah, true. And, uh, the, the scene, the, the, the scene closes on a line that I really enjoyed and it, it really encapsulates what was going on in this episode and what they were trying to achieve. Um, uh, Alan asks if his wife is cold and she says, I've never felt so warm in my whole life. It yeah. was because he was holding her and he knew, or she knew that this is what she wanted the whole time. She wanted her husband to care more about her than any, like than any career could ever give him, you know? Yeah. So then, um, they wave goodbye to, you know, the, the bone crews, um, as in they're old people and they also boned a lot. And, and then we get this, like, I kept waiting for something else to happen and we get Serling telling you the ending, which doesn't happen often in these episodes where he's like, Oh, and they got to safety and they looked up for like any news, of the lady Anne, and it never made it to port, but there was never a record of it actually ever going anywhere. And it must've just been because this, this old cruise just went to the twilight zone. It's like, I, I get that there's this whole thing of like, show don't tell but it's like that was a lot of telling at the end of the episode like they they he had they had to do a lot of um like sewing up real quick because they 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 were done and i don't know i mean it all works thematically it just still feels weird to me yeah this episode didn't have a whole lot of like events as much as it had like just dialogue that you had to pay attention to because i mean the drama was between the people themselves. Like it wasn't about an event that was going to happen. Um, like, you know, and certain things like, like our last episode, we're waiting for the ship to finally land. Like we're waiting for the ship to come. I didn't feel like we were waiting for a moment. We were just waiting for more dialogue. That's fair. 
So yeah, that's your, that's your episode. Um, I, I like this one. Um, it's, you know, it's not a favorite, but, uh, I just think the only, the only thing that bugs me about it is that I feel like the character of Alan, we're not supposed to like him to begin with, but we're supposed to be on his side at the end. And I just don't know if that transition worked well enough for us to honestly care about him. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And for me, um, the part that I, I honestly didn't care for so much about this episode is it just seemed like it hit a wall and that was the end. Like I honestly was yeah. waiting for something new to transpire. Yeah. And then when they, it never dropped, it was done. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good call. So, uh, did you have any other notes about the episode before I get into like a little story about some of the actors? It's actually a sweet story. No, I don't. Uh, you can go ahead. All right. So this comes from the twilight zone companion. I don't always give credits to the books that I have. This one is from uh, Mark Scott Sacree. Um, so <clears throat> this is a, a quote from Lamont Johnson, the director. It was a joy to reunite with these great old characters and character actors. Cause he did work with, uh, with the character of Millie on, um, nothing in the dark. Um, that was the chief attraction to do it. I loved hearing their anecdotes. Wilfred Hyde White and Gladys Cooper would sit around and gossip maliciously with enormous relish about people alive and dead and some particularly scandalous thing that was happening currently in England or in the British colonies would send them into absolute flushes of youth. Their eyes would glow and their skin would take on a ruddy tone. They would just come alive with gossip. I would have loved to be on the set to watch the two of them just just gossip and just be ridiculous and terrible. That has to be fun. I mean, just especially when you see, like, I think that when older people get together, especially with friends that they've shared time with in the past to see their faces light up and the stories start pouring out is so fun. Yeah. So, I mean, it just like the characters felt lived in because the actors clearly like they had fun. So I wish I would have been there to like, or I wish there would have been like behind the scenes footage shot. Cause I think that'd have been a delight. So I think that I think it would have been a fun set to be on. Um, also, I don't know if you watched the actual end credits to this episode. It was the only episode to have, uh, the credits scroll as opposed to fade in and out like a page turn, uh, because someone was new working on the show and didn't realize that was the way they needed to be done. And they screwed up. So the credits actually scroll like, like the end of like a, like a film. That, yeah, I, I did notice that. Um, honestly, I, it was more uh, noticeable to me because it would seem like, you know, I'm watching movies as often as I do. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of normal now. But I, I read the note about how it was the only episode that had the scrolling. And I was like, oh, geez, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that, like, unless it's pointed out to you, you wouldn't think twice about it. Be like, oh, that, that breaks the format. So, yeah. No, I, you know, as much, and we're, we're two weeks out from discussing our final thoughts about season four. Um, you know, there's been some rough going and some choppy water to, to go into more of the seafaring things. Um, this one was okay. Like there's bit, there's, there's character bits, there's dialogue. I liked about it. Um, it, I don't know if it's one I'd ever just like revisit out of like, I need to watch passage on the lady Anne again, but there has been for the hour long format, there's been much more trying examples of the format than this. And I feel like this is one that you probably could have told the same story in 25 minutes and probably got across the same things, but 
there you have a lot of these wonderful older actors that you give them a moment. So I think that's the spotlight. Also, again, I think the MVP of this episode, 1000% is Joyce Van Patten because she feels so real this entire time. Like I, like I, I adored her. Like this whole thing, like she felt like, uh, like she, she was pretty and attractive, but she wasn't like, um, like that weird, like standard of like some of these like blonde goddesses we'll get in some of these episodes sometimes. Like she felt like, I don't know, something about her face was genuine and warm. And I just, you know, I wanted, I wanted her to be okay. I think that she owned her part of the script. Well, like it, she really fit the, the mode of what they were trying to achieve in this episode. And it made me really feel for the character. Um, you know, it, it, her character really was depressed and you could sense that through her, through her, uh, her acting. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Episode like I just, you know, sometimes it's all you can hope for. Right. So like there's a hundred plus of these, not all of them are going to be like the heights of heights. Not all of them are going to be lows of lows. And this one, consider we've had some wobbly bits in season four, wasn't sure I'd feel about it. So that's good. So we're like, we're, we're past, we're past the passage on lady Anne. Um, yeah. Um, let's just, um, before we actually get to the end of the episode here, like our episode, let's just, uh, rate that twist. Um, I gave it the main couple actually got their marriage together and was saved a three because I feel like that going on the beginning part was going to be the big thing driving the episode and the fact that they got it resolved didn't necessarily surprise me because I don't know if 63 would have handled a divorce with with the wife finding her own way. I don't know if we're quite there yet. That's a fair call. I I, I, I think I'm going to go with you on the three on that one. Um, as far as any other twists. Well, the twist I, I, that like the whole crew and, and people there honestly liked them and didn't want them to, to end up where they're at. I didn't see that coming. I'll give it that. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, I think that for me, the, the biggest twist is that there was no real looming like danger or anything like that. Like there were some red herrings that were happening through this episode that I was like, something's going to happen. There's going to be like, there, I don't know. It's, it's a ghost ship. All these people, all these passengers are ghosts. I, there was, it, there seemed to yeah. be something more that was being like drawn out of the episode, but I didn't get it. And then I was like, wait, there's nothing. There's, <laughs> that's it. They're all humans. There was, um, there was a, a season one episode called uh, judgment night where this uh, guy kept living, uh, the same few hours over and over again on a ship that was being bombed by a German U boat. And you realize that he's been put in his own personal hell because he was actually the, the captain of the U boat that would destroy the ship. It's like, I was expecting something like that. I got like kind of like a field of dreams vibe from this where it's like, or um, I guess the better thing to, to equate it to would be um, the first episode of amazing stories called ghost train where it's already heading towards its fixed point and you can't stop it. Uh, and those that are already on it are okay with it, but not, but with go with ghost train the thing was there was a kid that should have been on the train when he was a kid but it derailed and now he has to be on it so i don't know there's something to be said for the vehicle of passage to another realm that isn't malicious it's just that 
that's where it's destined to be. That and when I say field of dreams, I think of like you know, you you're trying to go back to the past and get a moment and join in. Like I just I get it's it's the good kind of nostalgia in a lot of ways. Even though I think that um, Burgess's character here was uh, just get off my lawn with this lady's classy and she's amazing and you know whatever. But not a bad episode. No, no, not a bad episode. I was just waiting for something like I I just I definitely had like have you ever seen the movie Society? Yes. Oh, oh I, uh, yeah. I, just, I didn't he, expect boof. completely like that. <laughs> were you expecting like the party to be like, okay, everybody, we're going to drink up, and then also we're going to start taking our clothes off and become one big flesh like blob and bone it up. Sort of, but not oh. completely. Not like Cronenberg type style, but <laughs> it's a shunting good time. Oh god, society's a lot of fun. It's it's a it's a gross film in the funnest way possible. I'll just say that it's a weird ass film. That's what it really is. And oh, it's I, fun. The, the fact oh. that I was getting some like society like um, kind of. Yeah. Ideas out of this episode is kind of scary on my own. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, no, that, that's a good call. That's funny, but uh, yeah, no, good up, like fun, like not like it was an okay episode, and sometimes that's like that's better than you know, I don't know, like there's times where you always have your hopes for like to find that hidden gem, and this wasn't it for me, but it wasn't a bad watch, so I'm glad that we watched it. And the good news is we're almost done with the season. This has been a weird ride, but like, my God, this kind of zipped right by. Um, so we're going to talk about the last episode in a second. You guys can find us on Facebook at strange highways, uh, post your thoughts, how you feel about the episode. You can email us directly at strange highways podcast. Let us know your thoughts about season four, what you liked, what you're not liked. Um, you know, the world's kind of, kind of weird and messed up right now. I'm just going to throw out, uh, this is, this is me. I, it, with the twilight zone being what it is where it always kind of does it makes you have to think about things i just want to recommend a few episodes if you guys have not watched them in a while um this is just my thing so uh, if terry has episodes to recommend as well he's welcome to but i've i've watched a lot of these uh, a lot so i want to point out uh, let's see here judgment night's an important one um what else we got here um the monsters to do on Maple Street, which is also from season one. I think that one also speaks a lot now to what everything going on and just the way people are treating each other. Um, I would also recommend. Uh, let's see here. I'm looking through the the titles right now as we go through Dust from season two. I think that's an important one to look at right now as well. Um, and let's see if season three we have the shelter i think that one speaks a lot to everything going on right now about treating like your fellow man kindly deaths had revisited uh is an important one um yeah and uh you know we've talked about he's alive this season i think that's an important one to revisit as well and also i'd re- make a recommendation um if people have not checked out the jordan peele seasons season um there's an episode called replay that you should check out. It's, it's, I think it's definitely worth your time just to watch and consider. So that's my recommendations. If you have nothing else to do right now, check out some twilight zone and just, you know, ruminate. I think that's important. Um, that's my thoughts. Uh, so I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I agree with Paul. I, you know, I think there's a lot of good shows that, uh, mirror some things that have been happening, uh, recently that might shed some light, on like where you might feel 
it's necessary to think about things in a different light. Um, you know, with that said, though, uh, you know, it just kind of don't let the world get you down. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of good things going on, too, and there's a lot of good TV that we can appreciate. And Twilight Zone was definitely one of them that made us think differently. And uh, that's why one of the reasons I really appreciate being on this uh, podcast is it's it's always made me think. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and again, we've mentioned previously that uh, uh, with the CBS uh, All Access releasing season two of uh, Jordan Peele's produced Twilight Zone at the end of June, we will be covering that uh, episode by episode as we go along. Uh, all ten, we're going to drop the same day, but we're going to take a week to week at that point. So we're uh, so the the good news is is that we're next week we're covering the last episode of season four. It's called The Bard. Uh, there's actually no teaser for it. I know it has Burt Reynolds. Um, I, I, so I think the episode is about Burt Reynolds has to outwit uh, a local sheriff during a cross state beer run. I think that's the episode. Probably not right. Um, but, um, we're going to watch the bard. We're going to, and then the week after we're going to talk about our thoughts about season four. And then, um, like we're going to figure out what's going on. We might, we're going to do an anthology movie after our wrap up. And then we're going to dig into uh, season two of the Jordan Peele, like 2020 twilight zone. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's going to be uh, the next few weeks are going to be really fun. And uh, I cannot wait to uh, dive into the, the new twilight zone series. Yeah. So let's go do it for us this week. Hope you guys have a safe week. Hope you have a good week. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for a passage on lady Anne. and, um, yeah, I don't know what to say. Uh, just, I don't know. Um, if you see a ship full of old people that are all there because of uh, honeymoons previous, you, you know, it's a bone cruise. So just, just watch out. I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah. And don't have a, don't have the, the, uh, the wherewithal to uh, get into that kind of thing. Looks like we're in time for the orgy. Shh. I think they get the drift, Millie. No need to go all sticky on us. I feel sticky. <laughs>